Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. We started this series last week, um, and a little different. Uh, It's called Platitudes, Proverbs, and Promises. And the concept is this, and I know that might sound a little confusing. Platitudes are these spiritually worthless statements. Most of them just really aren't true, or they have so many things that qualify them, they're they're just of no value. They're spiritual platitudes. And, And then there's also these Proverbs. These are actually from the Bible, and they're truths. But the interesting thing is we take a truth from the Bible and we twist it just enough that we try to create a promise out of it on our terms. I'll show you in just a minute. And then also these promises of God. And this is where I think we're going to be really, really encouraged. There's promises of God in the Bible for you that are true for you all the time. And yet sometimes we haven't really identified what it is that they are. And so here's what we're going to do. Every week we're doing three things. We're going to call out some of these false platitudes. And then we're also going to take a look at some of these Proverbs, and we're always going to land on what are the actual promises of God. So you ready for that? Here's a platitude. It's right here in your notes. You'll see it coming up. God will never give you more than you can handle. It sounds like a truth, right? It is actually a platitude. It is not true. Here's why. If God never gave you more than you could handle, why would you ever seek him? Why would you ever pray? If God's like, don't worry, you got this, I mean, just, you can do it. No, no, he always gives us more than we can handle. Why? So that we'll pursue him. This last week, my wife and I joined Susan, uh, our missions pastor, in Guatemala. We spent four days there looking for opportunities that God might want to get us involved in, and we connected with these two organizations. And what they do in Guatemala is this. They do village transformation. They find these places that are forgotten. We actually drove into one village. They've never seen Americans before. We were the first Americans they've ever seen in their village. These are places that deal with poverty, illness, lack of opportunities. And these organizations, to do a village transformation, they'll put in clean water. Uh, They'll do child sponsorship, where people in the States can sponsor the kids in the village. They'll do food distribution, medical care, and they'll put in school buildings. Now, as I explain this to you, Pictures are better than words for this sake. So let me have you take a look at this. This is a a school. This is a pre-transformation. We drove into this village. This is the place where we were the first Americans to ever show up. And that's their school. Two rooms, a minimum of 50 kids in each room. Inside the room looks like this. Hey, all you teachers, I'm just saying, like, I know it's not easy, but it could be worse. All right? That's what the village looks like before these organizations show up. Uh, Here's what a transformed school looks like on the inside. A lot more space, block walls, not a dirt floor, a concrete floor. And this is what the outside of the school looks like. Usually there's dirt on the floor. The kids would walk out of the class and in that rainy community, there'd just be mud. So they poured concrete where kids could be and a roof over top of that. Um. They also train and support pastors and to make sure that there's a pastor in a community to take care of the spiritual needs of the community. This picture right here, this is one of the untransformed churches in, in the village we went into that was, had not yet 
you know, had a transformation. This was their church. And we asked him, how'd you get that church? He said, well, each of the families, you know, chopped down a tree and created a post. So each family brought a piece of wood and they scrounged together some money for the tin over top. I mean, this is just a pole barn, essentially, is what this is. And then their benches are just slabs of wood. This is what a transformed village looks like when their church is built. A little bit nicer, right? Uh, By the way, the church is always the last thing built in the village. Do you know why? Because we want to make sure that we take care of the kids' needs and the food and the water. And the pastor, he'll do... He'll participate with the village in there. You never walk into a village and bless the pastor right away because they're going to think that, oh, they're just doing this for him. We want to put the people's needs first. So we were in in Guatemala for this time, and the guy standing in front of that church, his name is Daniel. And um, Daniel and Wilma, that's his his wife, uh, we met them and their four kids See if we get a picture of, yeah, that's their, um, that's their family standing. Uh, their house is right next to the church, and uh, they've already undergone their, their spiritual transformation. So we went inside their church, and we all kind of sat together, and I was listening to Daniel's story, and his story goes like this. I came to this village to share the gospel with people. Uh, we had no land. We didn't have a house. Uh, We just showed up, and a couple people slowly started coming to the church. But this village is so heavily influenced by Roman Catholicism that they saw him as a threat. And so even after the the church was built, people would walk by as they're meeting there, and they would throw rocks at the church, and they would throw rocks at his house. And he was so discouraged, he said this, "I, I just wanted to quit. Literally several months before we got there, even though they've undergone this transformation, he's just saying, I wanted to quit. I was done. I I wasn't planning on staying here. Now, if you give this man a spiritual platitude that says, oh, listen, Daniel, don't worry about it. God will never give you more than you can handle. You've done a great disservice to this man. Because the reality and the truth, what I will struggle with at this church and in my ministry is so small compared to Daniel's world, where he's wondering, can I actually feed my kids while being in this village? Will these people who walk by and throw rocks at our church, are they going to walk in one day and physically confront us? See, here's what we find in the scriptures. We find a God not telling Daniel, hey, Daniel, you've got this. You know what we find in the scriptures? We find God as a good, good father who declares not you've got this, but I've got this. So that when people are throwing rocks at the church, Daniel and Wilma, his wife, and their four kids, they can stand on the rock of Jesus and say, I trust God that you're going to provide a way through in this. And so I just want you to understand that God is not a cheerleader saying you've got this. He's our good father who says, I've got this. And I know some of you are going through some stuff today in your life, and you need to hear that. You don't need to be shamed like, oh, I should be stronger. I should be more courageous. I should be more bold. I just want you to hear this. God has you. He knows you. And I don't want to throw a spiritual platitude your way like, hey, God will never give you more than you can handle because all that really does is shame you as weak. You with me now? So if that's the platitude, 
then what is, um, here's what's interesting about this too, though. Let me back up for just a minute. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Daniel Henderson. He's a, 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 uh, he's a national, he has a global prayer ministry. He makes this statement. Listen to this. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Isn't that a great statement? I mean, it's a horrible indictment against us. The fact that we don't pray very much, I mean, maybe we pray, you're like, I have never missed a meal prayer. You know, like, dear God, would you bless us and bless this food? Nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not making fun of that. I pray over meals all the time, right? God, please make this really unhealthy meal healthy for us, right? I believe in miracles. But do we pray prayers of, God, I can't handle this thing in front of me. God, I want to give up. God, I want to quit. God, I'm discouraged. Would you step in and intervene, and would you help me, God? See, if it's rare that you pray a prayer like that, maybe you're actually telling yourself, like, you know what? I got this. I got my life. Um, Vernon Brewer, who's the president of one of the organizations that we were with, he made this statement. He says, we have so much that we love God so little. The people of Guatemala, they have so little that they love God so much because they're forced to live in dependency upon him. So here's the problem. Let me just point this out to you. We often live small lives because we only rely on our resources rather than living a grander life with greater impact because we're actually praying for God's resources to be made available to us. Um, that's a platitude. And maybe that's seen you through some seasons, but can I just point to a proverb, which is actually a truth? It, let me just give you one of these proverbs. Last week, we looked at an actual proverb from the book of Proverbs, but we actually have proverbs, wisdom sayings from the New Testament too. Let me give you one that Jesus spoke. He said this, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Is that true? Absolutely. Those who seek glory for themselves, who desire recognition and honor for themselves, they will one day be humbled. But here's the problem, and it's a question. When? When will they be humbled? When will the arrogant be humbled? When will the humble be exalted? I mean, here's what we do, right? As Christians, we humble ourselves. We sacrifice for things. We try to make the decision where we do the difficult, obedient things so that God might be exalted. We do the thing that might not be easy so that God might do what? Exalt us? I'm going to do the humble thing. I'm going to do the servant thing. I'm going to do the sacrificial thing so that God might exalt us now. Don't you? Do you ever do something for God? with the expectation or the hope that he will bless you immediately or really quickly thereafter. And when that doesn't happen, see, what we do is we take a proverb and a truth like this, like, hey, the, the, the arrogant, they're going to be humbled. And, and the humble, they'll be exalted. And we twist it just enough to go, you know what? As long as it happens on my timeline, God, I'm going to do the humble thing if you'll bless me. You see the manipulation that we're trying to do with God? We take a proverb, a truth, a scripture, and we twist it just enough to say, God, I'm going to do the right thing. So you'll bless me and do it quickly. 
What if what Jesus meant in here is that those who are arrogant, those who exalt themselves, will actually be humbled in eternity? I mean, he didn't say that. He didn't clarify when. Um, we have a dog. His name is Jake. He's not the brightest thing in the world. He has these stomach issues, okay? Sometimes when he eats, like, his stomach just goes bad, and he just, he'll throw up his food. And so when he does that, and he gets all funky and bad gut stuff, um, we have to soak his food. And so the other day, Kelly boils a kettle of water, pours it in his food, so it makes it soft, easier to digest. And so when the food comes out, all of a sudden, he's like the most obedient dog ever. Kelly pours this in this bowl, and she puts it on the counter, and he's like, on all fours, and then he's like, up on his back legs, and he's like, and then he does the unforgivable sin, puts his paws on the counter, and you're like, what? And so he's like, I want it now. I want it now. But Jake ain't that bright. He doesn't understand. If I give him what he wants, when he wants it, it's too hot. It's not soft enough. It's not good for his stomach. It'll burn his mouth. It's not good for him if I give it to him on his timeline. And I'll be honest, sometimes I'm Jake. God, I want this now. And I'm on my hind legs. I'm stressing over it. I got anxiety over it. I'm I'm praying about it. Come on, God. Come on, God. Give this to me now. Give it to me now. Give it to me now. And he's like, if I give that to you now, it is not going to be good for you, even though you think it is. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a couple of you who are maybe identify with me. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But we cannot manipulate a truth of Scripture into a promise of Scripture when we start basing it off of our timeline. You with me? So, my third question, not a platitude, not a proverb, but a promise of God. These are truths that you and I can count on because God is faithful. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. The Old Testament one is this. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy. It's not in your notes there. Just listen to this. Um, God's people and Moses, uh, Moses at the end of his life, he's at the end of his life in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31. They left Egypt 40 years ago. They're about to go into the promised land and uh, Moses lets the people know, hey, I'm about to retire. Not just from leadership, he's retiring from life. He's saying, I'm about to die. And so he brings up Joshua in front of all of Israel and all the leaders. And Joshua, his protege, is standing there. And uh, Moses makes this statement. He says, the Lord your God himself, he will cross over the river ahead of you. And he will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of the land. The promise to Joshua and the people was that there was land there. And it was possessed by people. And he's saying, I'm going to move you into that land. I'm going to win the battle for you. But because of that, he's saying, he's not saying, hey, Joshua, you've got this. No, no, he's saying, listen, God has this. He's got you in this. But because of this promise, there's an expectation on them. He then says this, Joshua, all Israel, here it is. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Have you ever read that in the Old Testament and been like, yes, that's my promise. Promise from God. He's going to never leave me nor forsake me. So therefore, I'm going to be strong and I'm going to be courageous. 
I think there's a great word that captures what it means to be Joshua and the Israelites. Because once they cross that river, they face an enemy that wants to kill them. And it's this word. You want to walk into a dangerous situation. You want to stick it out when life is really, really tough. And God says, be strong and courageous. I I think it's this word. It's the word grit. See, because of God's promise of his presence and his power and the land that he's going to give them, he's like, I I still need you to be a gritty people. What is grit? I, I think it's this. I think it's, first of all, passion. That your heart is like, okay, God, you promised that you're going to be with me, that you're going to help us win this land, that you're going to do it for us. All right, I'm in. Let's go. It's belief, it's trust. There's a passion to it. Your heart's in it. But it's also this, it's perseverance, it's sweat. Because I don't think God says, hey, listen, I've got this and there's no expectations on you. I know you've seen parents parent this way. Don't worry, kids, I've got this. Your homework will get done. No, God says, I got this, but you're gonna put the sweat equity in. You're going to cross the river. You're going to pick up a sword. You're going to go into battle. But I've got this. You with me now? It's grit. I think it's what Daniel needed in that moment when we were sitting in his church in Guatemala. He's already had it. He's had grit, but he just needed people to encourage him and remind him. God's got this. Now, because you're all really good students of the Bible, you're going to notice this. That's a promise for Joshua. And the people moving into this promised land that God promised, it's not our promises. You're right. It's not. So are there any promises in the New Testament that are equivalent to this? I'm really glad you asked that. Let's walk into the promises of God. Turn to John chapter 14 that are for the church and for God's people. God promises us land. Did you know that? And if, please don't think I'm talking about America, all right? This is the land he promised us. Jesus, the night before he, he, he's saying goodbye to his disciples because he's knowing he's going to go die on the cross. And he tells them this in John chapter 14. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. That's the land. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? It's a place. It's a location. We call it heaven. We call it eternity. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That is his promise. It is always true. I am banking my life on that. That there's a place he's created for us. That is a place of joy where there are no more tears, where pain is over and we live in the complete joy and love of God. That's our land. But it's interesting because he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And one of the disciples is like, "Uh, Jesus, I know I'm not the sharpest, but I don't know the way. And he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. What God has promised is his people, a land, a place in eternity with him. Now, it's interesting because in just... Two chapters later, in chapter 16, he gives us another really interesting promise. Here it is. He gives us promised hardship. <laughs> Woohoo! No amens? In this world, you will have trouble. Underline it, highlight it. It's a promise. Woohoo! You should say woohoo because here's why. When you do have trouble, 
Most people go, God must have left me. Where's God? Surely he couldn't expect me to have to go through this. If you're carrying something today and you've got a weight on you, you've got a pain in your life, you've got troubles that maybe no one even knows about. God promised that you'd have trouble. But the good news is this is that trouble comes with a promise that he won't leave you in the midst of it. Let, let me just show you this. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. There's something about who Jesus is, that he's with you in the promise, and he has, he's with you in the trouble, but he's also overcome your troubles. Let, let me show this to you. In Matthew 28, 18, it's there in your notes, he promises something. I, I use this scripture a lot because it really is the cornerstone. We call it the Great Commission, how God, it's the, it's the last words that he gave as a mission to the church, not church leaders, all of his people. Here's what he says. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, here's your mission. Go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Um, question, who has the authority in this? All the authority in heaven and on earth has been given to my disciples. Doesn't say that. All authority in heaven on earth, all power has been given to... It, it's to Jesus. Now, I'm going to make this statement because I fully believe it because there's a theology called name it and claim it and it's totally bogus. It's a twisting of God's word. If you're not familiar with name it and claim it, it's where some people say, I, Jesus, in your name, I claim that that will happen. And you're telling God what to do. It's not a request. It's a, in Jesus' name, I claim this to be true. I don't know if they actually say it that way. I'm sorry, I'm making fun. A little. But it's taught in a lot of churches. Who has the power and the authority? Jesus does. But he gives us permission to ask him, Jesus, would you? Jesus, in your timing and in your way, these are my needs. These are my pains. I need this. God, I lay it at your feet. And Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and earth. Come to me and ask. Let, let me... Um, let me show this to you. Our promise is a promise of his power. But it's interesting because all of that authority is wrapped around us engaging in his mission. You want to see God's power? Engage in his mission. I have no doubt about this. If what we saw in Guatemala is something that we get involved in, and we're, we're contemplating this, we're praying about this, that if God wants us to do this, I know for sure that we will see God's power show up again and again and again. You know why? Because we're engaged in the mission that he's called us to. You want to see his power? Do something for him related to his mission of helping lost people find him, about displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so their lives are transformed. You want to help people discover Jesus? You'll see his power. I guarantee it. But this promise of power, it also comes by this, and this is in your notes. It's our promised power is actually his presence that is with us. You know how he wraps up the whole mission statement? He says this, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. In your pain, he says, I'm with you. That's such good news for some of you right now because you're in pain. In your losses, I'm with you. In your loneliness, I'm with you. So the question is how? 
Because do you know this? When, when he spoke that in Matthew 28, like, hey, surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. You turn like the pages and in the next couple of books, it's like he ascends, right? into the sky in front of all of his disciples to go to the right hand of God. Well, if he went to the right hand of God, how's he with us? Like, how does that work? I'm glad you asked. In John chapter 14, he says this. This is the same speech that we started with where he says there's a promised place for you. He gave us another promise, and it's this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a helper, to help you and be with you forever. And he calls him the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. You got troubles? Overwhelmed? The spirit of God lives inside you and you can talk to him. And you can say, I know you're the one who has access to the Father. That through the Spirit, Jesus lives in us, and he has all authority in heaven on earth. All the power belongs to him. God, I need your power right now. The power of your comfort, maybe. The power of your wisdom. God, I might need the power for you to change somebody. I might need the power of you to save somebody in my family who is lost right now. Today, let me just describe this to you. Uh, we're a church that is a lot like every other church right now. Almost every church in America, as we know it, is about 60% of people in the room here right now of what they used to be pre-COVID. 60%. But our mission hasn't changed. We're still in this valley to help lost people become found. We're here to display the irresistibility of Jesus to people so that their lives are transformed. But we just have less resources to draw from now. If you don't know the promises of God. You can take less people and do more with the power of God. If we'll actually come to him and say, God, would you help us? Because of his promise of his presence, here it is. We can carry out greater plans in his mission if we have, here's this word again, grit. If our hearts will walk into it and say, God, I know you're with me. God, I believe your power, the promise of your power is accessible. And we don't just believe it with our hearts, but we get busy with our sweat to say, God, I want to partner with you in this. So can I just ask you a question? How's the passion for his mission? How's the passion to make disciples? How's your perseverance doing? Have you backed off or are you throttling up? Are you coasting? Are you building relationships of trust? Um, When we were in Guatemala, this is the the entrance to the property where we're at. It's called the hope of life. I'll tell their story some other time, but when we first arrived our guides noticed, just take note of all the rocks in front of here and the paved entrance. The people that we were with, they hadn't been there for two years. And they're like, man, this road going up to the property, it's all so nice now. It used to be dirt. 
And I guess when you drove in, I, I'd never been there before, but I guess when you drove in, it, there were like potholes everywhere. It was all dirt and it was because it's a rainy place. Oftentimes the, the, just there'd be huge puddles that you would have to go through. It, it was really, it just wasn't a, a nice, easy place. Let me show you a second picture. This is the view from our room. Um, they actually have a property that is about 3,000 acres in Guatemala and there's a mountainside right there. And, uh, I, I don't know if where we were staying was actually the VIP, but I took that picture from our balcony. I don't, you, you see the road right there? That's the entrance. The entrance is at kind of the top left at the bottom of that other mountain, and you drive up that huge paved road right there. But next to that road, just to the right, you see the river? November of 2020, Guatemala was hit with a massive hurricane. The river below was flooded, and what it did was that, that hillside, is, that mountain, it's not even a hillside, it's, the mountain is so steep that when torrential floods came rushing down the mountain, it brought with it boulders the size of buses. And it just brought them hurling down the mountainside. It brought them so fast and so hard that they started hitting the buildings. It took a three-story medical building and knocked it right off its foundation. And they were left with wreckage and destruction. And now there were now thousands of boulders and rocks where the road used to be. Not the paved road, the dirt broken road. So what did they do? It's super hard to see. But if you look at that crook in the road and you look just left of there and a little bit up, there's, there's a machinery, there's a piece of machinery in there and, and it's blue you know what it is? It's a rock crusher. They took their storm and all the boulders that were delivered and did destruction. And they said, okay, we got free boulders. Let's crush them. They made so much gravel that all they had to do was add cement to it that they were able to pave all the roads that were destroyed. So now instead of a a bumpy road, they've paved the road for other people to enjoy. They had so much gravel. They're still breaking gravel. In the last two years, they've built brand new buildings with the cement and the gravel that, that is now theirs. Please don't miss this illustration. They took the thing that they thought was a a horrible storm, and it was. It was painful. It was difficult. It was bad. It created destruction. And they took their pain and let God crush that up. So it could pave the road for somebody else. I know you don't get it yet. Because that would have been a good time to say amen. But it's okay. Let me make this practical for you. How's God going to build this church? How's God going to build this church? How is God going to transform people's lives in this valley? I'm going to tell you right now. He's going to do it through you. But only through you who believe in his promises of his presence and his power. Because some of y'all got some boulders in your life. They came through a storm. Let's make this practical. You ready? Is there anybody who deals? You don't have to raise your hand. Please don't. Is there anybody who struggled with anxiety or depression? Why don't we have a resource at a church where people are equipped to coach, mentor, 
comfort people who deal with the same thing, that you might have a wisdom because you've had a boulder of pain put in your life, but you've allowed God through your sweat and heart and God's power to crush that up to go, I know it's my pain, but somebody else can use it for their comfort. Have you ever had a storm of divorce blow through your life? What if God helped you do the work of turning that boulder into gravel so you could start a divorce care group? We don't have one right now. Maybe we're waiting for somebody to realize that the boulder of pain that was put in your life is actually going to get crushed up so that God can use it to pave the road for somebody else. Have you experienced death in your family? What if God took that painful thing in your life, crushed it up so that it could be useful to start a divorce care group? Don't have one of those yet. Have you ever had a financial storm in your life that created boulders of debt? What if God put you back on your feet and helped you crush that debt and made it useful to someone else so that they could have financial peace? You had a parenting storm, a marriage storm, a medical storm that left boulders in your life? What if God wants to use the painful stuff in your life so that it could be a ministry to somebody else? You're not too young and you're not too old. Moses retired at 120 years old. So if you're 120, I guess you got an excuse to quit. How is God going to build his church? It's built by people who believe in his promises of his presence and his power to take the painful storms and boulders from your life and turn them into something beautiful and useful to somebody else. That's the beauty of believing God's promises. God wants to build his church, but he wants to build it through you, but it requires a gritty people. With your heart, you believe that he's with you in the pain. And you can take that pain and make it useful to somebody else. And the reality is we're at a crossroads in our church. And here's what we've done over the last year with our staff and our elders. We've reimagined the vision for this church. You're not coming back to the same old church we used to be. It's going to be different. I'm going to share more about that in September when we start up a new series. But that revision is actually going to require some gritty people who believe in God's promises. So let me just finish with this question. What boulders has God put in your life? Maybe they're there right now. Maybe it's 10 years ago that that boulder was there, and you're on the other side of it. It's been crushed. It's no longer so painful, but that pain turned to wisdom. That pain turned to an experience that you could now actually help other people. Will you trust his power to help you? Will you put in the sweat of trying to help people discover the irresistibility of Jesus? See, when we do, you're not going to live a small life anymore. You're going to live a grander life, and you're going to make a greater impact for God's kingdom. And that's based off of his promises. Would you do this with me? Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to end with this. I'm going to have our band come out. And based off of that question, um, I, I kind of want to know this. I'm going to take a risk. I, I I rarely do this, but I think we should do this today. When the storm came and the boulders were flying into buildings, it was scary. I listened to all their stories talk about it. And can I just say this? There's some of you that might be in a storm right now. You came in here and there's pain. You're hurting. Whether you got this prayer request, maybe you've been praying for a long time and you don't feel like God has shown up yet. 
You believe his presence is with you, but his power hasn't shown up. It might be loneliness. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. Here's how I want to end today. Um, We just want to pray for you. Not me, but we just want to be able to pray for you. Can I invite you to do this? It's going to require a little grit on your part. But if you're carrying something today, it feels like a boulder. There's a hurt in your life, and you just need God's help in this. Here's what I want you to do. I just, a little grit for you. Ready? I just want you to raise your hand. Because here's what I'm going to do. Look around. No one's eyes are closed. If there's someone around you and their hand is raised, if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to go pray for them. Now, I, I know, um, I, I didn't mean to sucker you into this. Like, I raised my hand, don't come pray for me. This is weird. No, 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 this is the church being the church. You don't have to explain your situation. Maybe you would just say this, pray for courage. Maybe you got a bad medical report. Maybe you just tell some, pray for healing. Pray for hope. Pray for a relationship restored. All right, so let's be the church right now. You ready? If you want someone to pray for you, just put your hand up. If you're a Christian, go find somebody. Put your hand right on their shoulder. And if you're going to get prayed for, just tell them, hey, pray for this. One sentence. Pray for help. There's a hand back here. There's a hand right here. I don't want to see see one person with their hand raised and people not around them right now. All right, balcony, you ain't out of this. Come on, anybody up there? Look around. I know maybe balcony people don't like people praying for them. I don't know. I love you all. And just as soon as they tell, hey, pray for this, start praying for them. All right, I think we got everybody covered. Why don't we all pray together? God, I would just ask in this moment that the thing that weighs us down becomes lighter. That God, the thing that we need comfort over, that we would receive comfort. And God, I pray for those that are wondering if their pain could ever be a ministry for other people. I pray that today, Lord, August 14th, that this would be the day that you call people to ministry. That you would give them a vision, a thought, a next step forward so that they might use what they've been through, the boulders in their life, that they might use it for someone else. And all for your glory, God. We believe in your promise that you're with us. We believe in your promise that your power is just a prayer away. And so God, would you show up and show off in this room right now and meet the needs that people are praying for. And if you agree with that, would you end with a mighty amen? Amen.